0: Lord, we do thank you now just for the work you're doing in each of our lives. Lord, we thank you that you saved us from the guilt and penalty of sin, but Lord, you haven't left us on our own. You are tirelessly working in our lives, seeking to conform us to the image of your dear Son, with the assurance that one day we will be like him when we see him as he is lord we thank you for the way you use miles stanford to bring together these truths that have been discovered by many of your children over the years and who have written about these truths and lord we Thank you for the impact it can have in our lives as we begin to understand these principles and understand what you're doing. Lord, we think of the chapter at hand now as we look at preparation. Lord, I just desire to be used by you. Lord, I desire for your Spirit to guide my thoughts, to guide my words. To not allow me to say anything that falls short of your truth, but also not to neglect anything that you would want to use in somebody's life this morning. So Lord, we just commit this time to you, looking forward to what you're going to teach each of us through our time. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. Okay, we're in chapter 5, preparation. Um, But before we start into chapter 5, let me just briefly review the four principles we've already seen as we've uh, gotten into this book. Um, Of course, we started out with the first principle of spiritual growth being faith. Of course, we were all saved as we put our faith in the finished work of Christ, uh, and but really, from beginning to end, our salvation involves faith. We're fa- saved by from the guilt and penalty of our sin by faith in the work of Christ. Uh, but we're going to we see as we move forward through this book, we're saved from the very rule of sin in our lives by faith. And we talked about what faith is. It's not just. Uh, a wish that something would would be true. Biblical faith is based upon the very facts of what God has said. Faith is putting my confidence in what God has said. Even if I can't verify it by any other means simply because I know that he has proven himself to be a reliable witness. So, you know, we, everything as we go through this book, everything calls for faith. We have to believe that when God said it, or whether, or when God demonstrated it through His Word, that it is true. And we put our confidence in that. Now, after, uh, you know, starting out with faith, we talked about time. And that, you know, God is not in a rush. God is working from eternity and for eternity. He is going to take whatever amount of time is necessary for him to accomplish his, his work. We're in a hurry. We're in a hurry with our own lives, but oftentimes we're even more in a hurry with other people's lives. We want them to get their act together now. You know, we're wanting them to be grown-up, mature Christians now. And uh, we can be very impatient. But we have to understand, again, the amount of time God has taken in our lives and be willing to allow Him that same amount of time in other people's lives. You know, I've been a believer now for 65 years. I need to be patient with other believers and realize there are things it's taken me 60 or 65 years to, uh, to understand. And I shouldn't expect others to necessarily understand those things right now. It's taken 65 years for some of these things to really filter down into my daily life. And I need to be patient with others. I think the issue of time has helped Jonelle and I more than, uh, than many other things in working with other believers. Especially struggling believers. Knowing that we've got to give God time to work. And not getting in a rush. So... You know, again, we take this by faith, because if you go through the pages of Scripture, you see the amount of time God spent in developing his servants. Look at Moses. Moses was 80 years old when the Lord used him to lead the children of Israel uh, out of bondage in Egypt. He spent 40 years... Leading a bunch of sheep around in in the desert around Midian in preparation. You see, David, he was anointed by uh, Samuel as king of Israel. But it was another, what, close to 15 years till he actually sat on the throne. And God trained him a lot during that time as he fled and hid from Saul. You know, God was working over a period of time. Uh, Even in Abraham, you see time involved in God developing him. We think about Abraham being willing to offer up Isaac, but we lose sight of how many years went by before he was at that point. And so, Scripture is very clear in the demonstration of time. Then we looked at acceptance, something else we are called to take by faith that you and I are accepted on the basis of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, not on the basis of the life we live. Our acceptance is in the beloved, it is complete, it is permanent. And we have to believe that, that God accepts us today as we are. Doesn't accept a lot of the things we're doing, but he accepts us. And that's critical because of the fourth principle we looked at, his purpose. His purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. His purpose is to ultimately achieve what he set out to achieve when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He set out to make man in his image. To bear forth his very character. And God's still working towards that end. And the reason being convinced of our acceptance is so important as God works towards this goal of conforming us to the image of Christ, is because in that process, he's going to spend a lot of time showing us what we are apart from him. And that will not be pretty. You know, there will be a lot of things he shows us about ourselves that will make us emotionally feel like, how can God possibly accept me? He accepts me because He says He has done so in the beloved. And so we rest in His acceptance while He first reveals what we are apart from Christ so that ultimately He will teach us what we are in Christ. And as we, you know, learn to live more and more in the realm of our new life in Christ, we will be transformed. But even then, our acceptance will be on the basis of who we are in Christ. Now, this brings us up to our chapter at hand. That of preparation. How God prepares us to make this move from being self Uh, guided uh, people to those who are embracing their new life in Christ it's going to be God's work we're going to see that in this chapter God is is the aggressor God is the one who is pursuing us God is the one who is preparing us to make this move from the old Adamic life to the new Christ life. Now the chapter opens, he says, once we know his eternal plan and purpose for us, which is to conform us to the image of Christ, plus his method of preparation and the process to the, that end, which is what we'll deal with in this chapter, he says, there is rest and confidence. Now, it so happens that God's basic ingredient for growth is need. Without personal needs, we would get nowhere in the Christian life. This is important. Let's face it. How many of you came to accept? Christ as your Savior without first seeing your need. I don't think there's anyone in this room who accepted Christ as their Savior without seeing their need. And God showed each of you your need in different ways. There were different things that came into your life that brought you to this point of realizing I need a Savior. I am a lost sinner. I need uh, God's provision. Need brought you to that point. Every single one of you was brought to that point by need. And the same we're going to see is true when it comes to our development in the Christian life. We will only come to appropriate Christ's provisions for our daily life as we see the need of it. If life is going along with a song and there are no problems and there are no needs arising, we will not look to Christ. That's unfortunate, but it is true. He says, without personal needs, we would get nowhere in the Christian life. And I can attest to that myself, in my own personal experience. Everything I have learned to appropriate from Christ, has I've been brought and pushed, uh, maybe at times kicking and screaming, uh, to the point of seeing my need of it. And so he says, the reason our Father creates and allows needs in our lives is to turn us from all that is outside of Christ, centering us on Him alone. He says, not I, but Christ. So he's he's saying here, look, God allows needs to come into our life. He even causes needs to come into our life. Why? To turn us from this, this old Adamic life, this self-life, to turn us from that over to him and that Christ life. And these needs can be varied. Each of you can probably look back in your life and see certain things that God used to bring you along in your Christian development. Might be marital struggles. It might be financial struggles. It might just be struggles in your own heart. In your own thoughts, things that you know are wrong, but you can't uh, uh, deal with. And they bring you to that point of realizing, Lord, I need your provision. Just like I needed Christ to be my Savior, I need His provision for, for, for life itself. And so he goes on, he writes, for both growth and service. Both those things. In order for you to grow, and in order for you to be able to serve the Lord, he says it is essential that we see and understand this principle, which J.B. Stoney sets forth in a sentence. He says, the soul never imbibes, or drinks of, The truth in living power, but as it requires it. He says, you're never going to take hold of and drink in the truth that brings living power into your life until you see your need of it. As for our growth, needs cause us To reach out and appropriate by faith from our Lord Jesus what we require. Our growth is dependent upon us seeing our need to reach out and take from him on the eve of his crucifixion, as Christ spoke to his disciples in the upper room, he told them of the coming Holy Spirit. And he said, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will take those things that are mine and make them known unto you. The Spirit's ministry is in us to take those things that are Christ's and bring them and make them a reality in our lives. But we have got to... Desire them and see our need of them, and by faith reach out for them. And he says, in the matter of service, in witnessing and helping others, we must watch and wait for the hungry, the needy heart, if there is to be abiding fruit. That's an important statement. In the matter of service, in witnessing and helping others, we must watch and wait for the hungry, the needy heart. Joe and I have definitely learned that over the years. You know, we taught through this uh, study in in the church we were in up in Waukesha. And I know the pastor on several occasions stood up and in the main service and just said, I'd like every one of you to be attending Rick's class. But I told him one time, I said, Pastor Tom, not everybody would get anything out of this class, only the ones whose hearts God has prepared. You know, until somebody has been brought to a point of seeing their need, these truths fall on deaf ears. We had a young man we met with for a while and went through the study. He was actually he had uh, his father had been a president of the school at one point, and he had walked away from the Lord and really gone through a lot. And uh, he came back to the Lord, and he was well prepared by the Lord. And we met together. Yeah, this was the son, and you know this. These truths meant so much to him. and he, 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 he was a boss over several employees and he went and bought them all the book. <laughs> meant nothing to most of them. Why? They weren't ready. My prayer, and Joan in in my prayer, week after week after week, is Lord bring out those whose hearts are prepared those who are ready for this message the others lord you've just got to keep working we don't you know we know that uh, until you are prepared it's not going to make a lot of difference And we saw this even in Ireland. There were a number of couples that God had prepared. And man, they grabbed hold of these truths. And it so changed their lives. But there were others, you know. They would uh, talk uh, uh, to, uh, you know, the ones who were being ministered to this would talk to them about it. And they'd come meet with us. And it was kind of like, I don't know what the big deal is. Why? Why? Because need had not yet brought them to that place. And so, you know, Joe and I, we don't chase people. We don't try to force things. Because we've seen until God brings a heart hunger, people are not going to respond. So we patiently wait. And if the Lord wants to use us and He brings them around, great. If He wants to use somebody else, great. And it might, you know, it could be two, three, four, five years down the road and somebody will finally come to that point. We had lunch the other week with a A friend that we've known for many, many years. And he told me, he said, I've started reading through the green letters again. He said, it's been 20 years since I've read through it. And he got teary-eyed just saying how so much was impacting him now that had never impacted him in the past. How many things he was seeing at this point in his life. Why? Because God has produced need in, during those 20 years that has brought him to the place of seeing these truths for what they are. And so, you know, the understanding of preparation and the understanding of need is incredibly important. Again, he said, Stoney writes, the true value of anything is only known when it is wanted. (laughs) Stop and think about it. That's a pretty true statement. The true value of something is only known when you really want it. J.N. Darby makes it doubly clear. By writing, wisdom and philosophy never found out God. He makes himself known to us through our needs. Necessity finds him out. He goes on to say, I doubt much if we have ever learned anything solidly except we have learned it thus. Wisdom and philosophy never found out God. He makes himself known through our needs. And he says... <laughs> I doubt if anybody, you know, uh, anything, anyone has ever learned anything solidly except in this way. I don't think I have. Maybe you're the exception. I don't know. But it's been need that has brought me to the point of, you know... Uh, wanting to know and beginning to learn what God has. So he says, in this light, our needs are invaluable. We need our needs. (laughs) They are an incredibly necessary process of moving us from the... I part of the life to the Christ part of the life to teaching us not I it's been my struggles it's been my failures it's been my deep needs that have at times caused me to cry out to the Lord for answers I think I've said shared before you know, it's one of these things. I'm teaching this study, and we're doing one on Sunday night, and so I can never remember what I said to who. But, uh, but you know, early in my Christian life, all the way I guess back during my time at FOA, you know, I, my understanding of the Christian life was just so inaccurate. And I was trying so hard to live the Christian life. And I was failing and failing and failing. And I'd confess and sin and confess and sin. And they were not what people would see as overt sins. A lot of them were struggles in my heart, struggles in my mind. But they brought me to a point where I I really thought, came to the realization, if Christ paid what he paid for my salvation, it's got to be better than this. And my heart's cry was, Lord, show me what I'm missing. (laughs) Show me what you've provided for me. I know it's got to be better than what I'm experiencing. And it started a journey that has lasted from that point forward. A journey that's continuing on as God shows me more and more of what's involved in my salvation. And that when he says that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him, he means it. That we are complete. He says we must face up to the fact that without spiritual hunger, we cannot feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. From our personal experience, Matthew 5, 6 should mean much to every, yeah, every one of us. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It says we hunger and thirst for what Christ has for us that we're filled. But need brings us to that point of hungering and thirsting after those things. He goes on and says, All too often believers are exhorted and even pressured to grow before uh, there is an acute awareness of the need and before there is a true spiritual hunger. And that's, I think, another very sad but true reality. Believers are exhorted and pressured to grow before they even need, know they need to grow and have any idea of God's provision for that growth. Now, God can work even through that. Of course, we saw that, again, with some of our Irish friends who were, they got saved, and uh, the fellow who was instrumental in uh, bringing them to Christ was an ex-Jesuit who had a very legalistic view to the Christian life. And he pressured them to grow. And, you know, they were supposed to read the Bible X amount and pray X amount and be out witnessing this amount. And they tried it for several years. And they failed. It didn't cause them to grow. It caused them to become, you know, disenchanted with Christianity. But that wasn't. It wasn't bad. I mean, that brought them to the point where they wanted something else. (laughs) It brought them to the point where they realized, you know, if anything was going to happen, it was going to have to happen a different way. And that's what brought them to an openness. But I still would not encourage anybody to pressure spiritual growth. Let God produce The need. Let God open the eyes. But see, then he goes on and says, And sad to say, in most instances, when there is real heart hunger, there is little spiritual food offered. Now, thankfully, for those friends there in Ireland, the Lord took us there. And Joe and I never had a huge <laughs> outreach in Ireland. It wasn't like hundreds were coming to Christ. But I believe God cared enough about those couples that we worked with that he was willing to, to uh, spend what was necessary to send us over there to minister to them. You know, in missions circles, especially with missions committees at times, I've heard, well, you know, that's a small tribe. We'd be better off investing our money in a bigger, you know, somebody working with a bigger tribe. We'll get more souls for the buck. (laughs) They wouldn't put it in those terms, but that's basically what it is. But you know, when you stop and think what Christ paid for our salvation, do you really think he's worried about how much money it takes to reach a small group of people? I think, I don't think money's a problem for God, personally. I really don't. I think he has the resources to do whatever he wants to accomplish. And he doesn't evaluate the value of work by the cost. He values it by the, the souls that need to be rescued. Yeah? I just wanted to say, too, one of the things that encourages us so much, uh, Yeah, we had a small group of precious ones, and I tell you, those early years, sometimes we'd go to bed and cry and pray, and that's not bad. But... Um, just them learning these things and growing like they did. It was like a utopia to us huh. almost. They were like sponges, y'all. I was yeah. to tell you what it was like. But the beauty of it all and the only God gets the glory for this is they're still growing. Yeah, and they're reaching and Jesus, out. if we would mind, you know, we had a little, it was called Karis Fellowship. And if, if, we, if they would spread out over Dublin, mm. And tell people the truth and not stay where they were in comfort of their own uh, family, church family. And so they did. And we still see them growing because this is the truth. Yeah. And it's stuck. And we that's God. And man, that's so, Him. but that's mm-hmm. been an encouraging thing is to see God take that little group of yeah. And do his good work; it still is after we've been gone twenty years now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you never know how God's going to multiply what what people uh, what He accomplishes along the way. But He says one of the main reasons for so much evangel- evangel- evangelistic effort <laughs> and personal work coming to. A little or nothing is that the truths are forced on the victim to be saved before he's aware he's lost. The work will soon be brought to naught unless an overpowering conviction of sin causes the lost to reach out with the grip of personal faith and find their need met in the Savior. He says, you know, and again, there's this pressure to uh, on people, but he says until somebody realizes they're lost, until they see their need, the efforts are basically in vain. I like this next statement by Watchman Nee. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw them down to you. You can grab one here and here and here. And, you know, no the boat never sank I mean, it's, except one time a boat sank. And the captain said he said it's funny how people wanted that life jacket and wanted to know where it was. <laughs> they recognized their need all of a sudden. Yeah. are getting the message the first time on the dock? It was like. like... Yeah. <laughs> and it just reminded me of that. It was like. Oh yeah, yeah. All of a sudden you recognize your need. It's like where is the life jacket? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. No, that's it's a good example. Uh, that Again, at times, until we see the need, we, it just falls on deaf ears. And But when the need arises, then it's a different story. Okay, I like this statement from Watchman Nee. He says, Watchman Nee puts things, uh, first things first by saying, The Lord does not set us here, first of all, to preach or do any work for him. The first thing which he sets us here uh, for which he sets us here is to create a hunger in others. He says no true work will ever begin without a sense of need being created. We cannot inject that into others. We cannot drive people to be hungry That hunger is to be created, and that hunger can be created only through those who carry the impressions of God. God wants to so produce in you and me the very image of Christ that it causes others to hunger to know him. And sad to say, what many see of Christianity is not that. They see a lot of legalism. You know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to quit doing this, you need to quit doing that. They don't see Christ. And I may have shared this before, but Charlie Jones, who was an elder here for many, many years, man, I spent a lot of time with growing up. He took me hunting and fishing and taught Sunday school, and we just, I knew him very well. But when we were raised in sport to go to Ireland, he was building a shed behind his house and needed some help, so I went over to help him. And we were sitting at lunch one day, and he said, Rick, I want to tell you something I've never told you before. He said, when your dad first came to town, he spoke at a men's uh, group I was at, and he said, I could tell that what your dad had was real. And afterwards I looked him up and he got me in the word and he changed and it changed my life. But it's always stuck with me. He said I could tell what he had was real. People are looking for something real. They want to see Christ actually in us. Not just tell them about him and, and and give them a bunch of rules and regulations. They want to see something in us. And, you know, we can think, oh, it's hopeless. I'm never going to look totally like Christ. No, you won't. Not this side of eternity. But people will see things in you. That you may not even see. People can see whether something's real or whether it's fake. They really can. Again, my dear friend Peter Shields in Ireland. uh, After he'd grown in a lot of these understanding of these truths. You know, he changed jobs at one point. He told me one time, he said, every other time of... Uh, had a job. I've gone in there and I've set out to evangelize everybody and in a few days nobody uh, would have anything to do with me. (laughs) He said this time I went in with no agenda but he said almost every day at lunch somebody comes over sits down with me and has spiritual questions. Why? Because they saw something in him that was different He wasn't perfect, but they saw enough of Christ in him. They saw that it was real. That it wasn't something he was just putting on an appearance of. And they were drawn to him with their questions. So he says, in preparation... There is a tearing down before there can be a building up. And that's why, again, the chapter on acceptance is so important. Because this tearing down is going to involve God showing us a lot of things about our old Adamic life. That aren't pretty. That we just as soon not see, but we need to see. And he tears us down for a positive reason, that he might build us up in Christ. Quotes from Hosea 6 verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, and he will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. And he says, this applies both in growth and service. Even in our service of him, there can be a tearing down. Why? So that he can build us up in Christ. A lot of Christian service starts out in the flesh. I'm going to serve God. You know, I'm thankful that He saved me from the guilt and penalty of sin. Now I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do my best for Him. I, I, I. And God will allow failure. He will create need to bring That servant to the point of saying, Lord, I can't do it. Where he looks to Christ and finds that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now he goes on to write. He says, J.C. Metcalf writes, It's more than comforting to realize that it is those who have plumbed the depths of failure to whom God invariably gives the call to shepherd others. This is not a call given to the gifted, the highly trained, the polished as such. Some years ago, I I read where there was a pastor of a very large church, a well-known church, who said he would not accept a man into the position of assistant pastor who had not first been broken at some point in his Christian life. Because until he had been broken, he would not be in a position to really minister to others. We oftentimes think that, you know, as, as we are, are broken, that all is hopeless. Now God can't use us. But oftentimes that brokenness is the one thing that's bringing us to the place where God can and will use us. God uses broken people. He takes those broken people and he produces the Christ life in them because they see their need. And I'll stop with this next uh, little section. Uh, And we'll pick up there next week. But he says, Without a bitter uh, experience of our own inadequacies and poverty, uh, they are quite unfitted to bear the burden of spiritual ministry. It takes a man who has discovered something of the measures of his own weaknesses to be patient with the foibles, (laughs) the shortcomings of others. You've got to understand your own weakness before you're ever going to be patient with others. Anybody who thinks they are being successful at living the Christian life is never going to be patient with other believers. Not with their struggles says, such a man also has a first-hand knowledge of the loving care of the chief shepherd and his ability to heal the one who has come humbly to trust him and him alone. Therefore, he does not easily despair of others, but looks beyond sinfulness, willfulness, and stupidity to the might of unchanging love. And here, I think, is a very... Important observation. The Lord Jesus does not give the charge, be the shepherd of my lambs to my sheep, on hearing Peter's self-confident affirmation of undying loyalty, but he gives it after he has utterly failed to keep his vows and has wept bitterly in the streets of Jerusalem. You know, just hours before Christ's arrest, Peter had said, Lord, if everybody else forsakes you, I won't. I will be faithful to death. And Christ didn't at that point say, Wow, Peter, you're the kind of man I'm looking for. I want somebody that's committed like you. You're the man who needs to lead my my sheep. No, he waits till Peter has forsaken him three times. He waits until Peter has gone out and wept in the streets of Jerusalem over what he did. And then after that, the resurrected Christ comes to Peter, a broken man, and says, Peter, I want you to care for my sheep. He asked Peter if he agape him, and Peter couldn't even say that at that point. All he could say was, well, I have a fondness of you, Lord. But he tells Peter, the day is coming, you will agape me. That day is coming. But it it was going to be the Lord's work in him. Now there's much more to come in this chapter but we'll have to wait till next week to see it because we're out of time let's close in prayer lord we thank you now for the work you're doing in our lives lord sometimes it's painful it's uncomfortable lord at times we'd like to take an easier road but lord you have a very high calling for each of us and lord we just pray that we would learn to trust you each step of the way first in the precious name of jesus we pray amen